Hey guys, welcome back. This is Caring is Swearing. My name is Samantha. I'm doing an extra, I'm doing a lot of extra like podcast um, in the coming weeks just because I know a lot of us are stuck at home and it's just, it's hard because you feel like you're all by yourself even though you're probably surrounded by your family for the most of us. Um, but even then you can feel like, ugh, I need a break. So hopefully this will be like your outlet or your alone time or whatever and uh, you can get a sense of um, distraction and maybe a refocus and a different perspective and I'm hoping it uplifts people a little bit or at least makes you feel like you're not by yourself and how you're feeling. Um, so today I want to talk a little bit about uh, ugh, grief. Ugh. So I'm sure you've read a lot lately about um, like people being concerned about everyone's mental health obviously uh, you know while we're being quarantined even the most healthy of people that you know with mental health people who don't really have problems with depression or anxiety or uh, any mental disorder uh, even seasonal depression um, most people even people who are like who don't experience these things are probably starting to experience them a little bit because being cooped up and being you know surrounded by the same thing every day and no end in sight it can be a lot for people um, it's a lot of stress there's a lot of worry out in the world right now so it can put play a really big toll on your mind uh, I want you to know that it's completely normal to feel like that. Um, and all of us who do have, you know, these issues to begin with, uh, it's probably amplified, like, a lot. I'm sure, like, a hundred times over. Um, I do believe this is going to take a huge toll on everyone's mind and emotions. Um, and if you're already struggling with things like depression, anxiety, grief, uh, any kind of darkness, it, it is going to have the opportunity to amplify during this time. Uh, we have to band together, you know, from a distance, though, obviously, you can't, like, hug anybody, but it's not hard to text someone even if you don't really ever talk to them you know reach out to them on Facebook if you see they're struggling or if you've experienced something similar to what they're experiencing just let them know like hey I've been there um, you know I'm here if you need to talk I really don't have anything I can say that maybe it will help you but I can listen sometimes listening is the best thing you can do for people they don't they don't need you to fix them you know they don't need you to um, you know say the right thing but sometimes they just need somebody, they just need to know that somebody cares and somebody wants to hear what they have to say and just let it out, you know, letting it better out than in, you know. So today, though, I do want to focus um, on grief, um, grief and darkness, because I feel like a lot of people around me lately have had a lot of experience with grief, unfortunately, um, in the last, you know, couple years or recently, and I do have my own experiences with grief, um, as many of you know. In my earlier podcast, I spoke a little bit about my our first baby, Layla, who passed away um, about eight years ago. She would have been eight this April. Um, she passed away in my womb at 16 weeks due to a what they called at the time a partial molar pregnancy. Uh, I've had a second opinion, and it did kind of line up with partial molar pregnancy, but it's just kind of bizarre that she was able to make it to 16 weeks because most of the time... Uh, a molar pregnancy is basically a tumor inside of your womb while you're pregnant. Sometimes it's just a tumor that has HCG and it never even develops a baby. And sometimes it can develop with a baby, which is why mine was considered partial molar because it allowed her to grow to such a you know big size, which is very rare in, in that kind of circumstance. Um, but she did. She passed away at 16 weeks. I'd had a pretty normal pregnancy up until, you know, the week before. Um, I started having a little bit of pain and uh, I felt like I had a urinary tract infection. And I wasn't feeling her move a whole lot anyway, so I didn't really know, like, that she wasn't moving very well. 
but when she was born she also had a knot in her cord that she had she was a very active child even from like the very beginning like when we could see her moving she was bouncing constantly and my newer doctor when he looked back on my you know the, the notes and everything that was happening um sorry if you hear that in the background my cat is doing crazy stuff and I'm not gonna stop him but um yeah he's on top of a bag so it's gonna make some noise anyway um my second doctor did say that it was possible that she was able to tie her cord like in a knot because she was so little you know and she might have like wrapped it around her a little bit and then tied it as she got bigger got you know obviously as the more blood flowed through it it tightened even more I'm not a doctor so I don't really know what any of that means but we're not sure if she actually passed away from partial molar completely or if I just had some kind of tumor that just kind of manipulated it to look like that but I'm pretty sure the cord is the reason because she wasn't the weight she should have been when she was born so she obviously was lacking nutrition uh, so anyway the point of it is I've lost a child um, it was considered a miscarriage because anything under 20 weeks um, is considered a miscarriage uh, they're not considered viable children are not considered viable in the womb until I think 24 weeks um, or something like that 23 or 24 weeks but obviously as a mother or as a parent in general the moment you know you're having a child that's your baby it doesn't matter how old they are you know how long you've had them in the womb you've never even met them they're your baby um, and I struggled obviously so hard when I had to give birth to her and I did have to give birth to her in a hospital and then I had to have surgery two days later to clean everything out to make sure that I didn't have cancer and all this stuff and I had to get tested every week for like like 12 weeks every week I had to get blood work done to make sure that my ACG levels were going down and make sure that they didn't spike back up because it can cause a very rare cancer um, and they wanted to make sure that I didn't end up having that and I didn't thank goodness I'm very blessed um, very grateful for that but anyway, I want to talk about a lot of you that have experienced grief and are probably in the thick of it right now. Uh, obviously, you've probably heard from grief counselors and tons of people around you and Google and everything else. There are five stages of grief. And the first one, I'm just going to go through each step with you and tell you what I experienced in my, in my, own, you know, my own experience. So, um, denial is the number one. And I remember knowing that they had told me Layla died and that I held her lifeless body in my arms you would think that would be enough to tell you like she's gone but in my mind like I hadn't accepted it yet and I hadn't really felt the full force of it yet so I focused on so many other things around me like you know I focused on um, her funeral and the next steps and I remember at the time our pastor uh, had told us that um, there was going to come a time when everything settled down that it hit me full force because I wasn't allowing it to hit me yet. And he said, you know, you're going to come back and you're going to have all this, these steps hit you at once and you're going to feel all these things at once. And I want you to know now that when you start feeling like that, it's normal and it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling and just feel it because you need to. And there will come a time, he looked at my husband and he said, there will come a time when she ends up blaming herself and she's going to feel like she did something wrong. And that is your job then to tell you that, you know, to tell her that she did nothing wrong. And I'm so thankful for him because although we don't go to the church anymore, um, I'm not hugely religious anymore. He was a godsend to us um, at the time because him and his wife had experienced loss as well in that, you know, in that area. 
Um, so I'm very thankful to him and his wife. They were very big, um, I guess, advocates for us and supports. So denial. And he was right. After her funeral and things settled down and like people stopped visiting and it was just quiet, it hit me so hard. That next, that next stage, which was anger, just set in. And my heart was just angry. I was so angry. I was just, everything pissed me off. But, like, I started cutting people out of my life, getting angry at them for putting stuff on her grave without asking me first. I mean, it was just stuff that I look back on now and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's crazy. But at the time, like, I felt just like everything had, but nothing was in my control. Like, I had lost complete control of my life and I needed to be able to control something. So, like, I would go out and visit her grave every single day, which I remember my mom telling me, honey, this is not healthy. Like, I know you have to do this right now. But, you know, eventually you're going to have to start, you know, getting on with your life a little bit. You know, she wouldn't want you to just dwell all the time. But as a mom, oh, you guys, I will never, I will never forget the first time that we were home. And we had buried her, you know, and it had been probably a couple days and it rained. And I cried so hard because all I could think about is my baby's outside and it's raining and she needs me to protect her and I can't because she's in the ground so I just remember telling somebody like I have this overwhelming need to just go put a blanket on her you know or cover her somehow and it's heartbreaking to think about I'm mean, even now I'm tearing up because I just remember all that pain it's still there I just don't allow it to come to the surface very often because I can't live my life like that I can't let myself get swept into that darkness because I will never get out of it it took all I had to do that. And that anger stage for me lasted months and months and months. I mean, I still cried all the time, but I was so mad at everybody all the time. I lashed out at everyone and everything. And then there's bargaining. Oh, my goodness. I would lie there. I remember going to sleep crying and waking up crying. I remember a time at the beginning where I didn't cry. And in the anger parts where I didn't cry. And I remember bargaining with God, like, you know, please just take me, just switch me, you know, take me. I don't want to live without her. You know, let her have a life. She deserves a life. I've lived a life. Let her have a life. I will, you know, without a doubt in my mind, give up my life for any of my children. And at the time I was thinking the same thing. But then I remember having a dream and in the dream, you know, God did grant me what I wanted and Ryan had to raise this baby by himself and she didn't have a mother and she grew up without all those memories with her mother and her dad you know did the best he could and I remember thinking my god that's the most selfish thing I could ever do is to play God you know and change fate and although I want my child here what kind of life would my child have if she didn't have a mother you know that what am I robbing her of then there's a reason she's not here and I don't like it at all, and I would switch it in a heartbeat, but for some reason, reasons even I now still don't understand, God needed her more than I did. And that gives me some kind of peace now, still makes me really upset, but I know that she's still here with, with me. Maybe not here, but I can feel her all the time. And I think that's helped me to recognize that, you know, that's love for her and she loves me back and she's still here and she's still a part of our family. We make her very much a part of our family with our girls and they talk about her and they ask about her and we make it a point to see her and to celebrate her life and 
just make it important that she was here she does exist she was she was alive um then the fourth part is depression and oh the depression oh i thought the anger was bad but mix the anger with depression on top of the desperate need to just fix it and you have a very toxic life for a very long time years i am telling you years of depression um oh i can't it's the darkest i've ever been in my life hands down the darkest i've ever felt i wanted to die more than anything in the world i didn't want to live anymore you know i just felt like i failed her in every sense that you could fail and although now i look back and i thank god that i didn't die and i didn't do anything that would be permanent because i would not have these precious little people in my life who make my life worth living and give me purpose to keep going every single day I didn't know it was possible to necessarily have it all I don't have all of them with me but I still have all their love and I have all my love for them and to me that's having it all your family is everything and you make your life what it is I mean I could have easily you know let the death of our daughter come between us and had a different relationship by now but we fought hard through that grief together we let each other grieve separately but we also grieve together and we gave each other grace you know and understanding that we're both going through something and even now when we talk about her if he doesn't want to talk about her if i don't want to talk about her because it just too, hurts too much sometimes we give each other that grace we're like okay that's okay you know we're not all on the same page all the time and that's all right you know we're in different processes you know and we all process grief differently and there's no right or wrong way um but number five is a big one because it's just been a recent one for us in the last couple years i think having our daughters helped us accept layla's death not because they they replaced her because they could never do that but because they let us see the other side of the fence, the side that we didn't think was ever even possible. And they pushed us into the sunlight. And we needed that. They were our boost that we needed. And I love the fact that our daughter, Emmeline, talks about Layla all the time. She dreams about her. She plays with her and her imaginary friends is named Layla. And I mean, it's every time she hears the name Layla, she goes, that's my sister's name, Mom. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is. And, you know, that gives my heart so much happiness. You can't even imagine. So, like I said, the Layla would have been 8 this April. And I'm still having rough days. And it hits me so damn hard sometimes with no warning. But, you guys, I'm here. I am here. And I'm living. And I'm doing the best I can do. And I'm processing. And I'm feeling. And I'm dealing. And... I reach out when I have to so the point of this today is to tell you that if you are in a darkness or in a grief you know and grief is hitting you hard I don't care if we never talk I don't care if you're the strongest person in the whole wide world if you are feeling like that right now you need to reach out to me I will listen I will not judge you I will not give you advice if you don't want any advice I will not speak a word if you just want somebody to be on the other end to hear what you have to say or to listen to you while you cry so I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. I hope everybody's feeling okay. Um, stay tuned for another podcast later on down the week. Um, have a great day, guys. Bye.